You guys look good. Hope you had a good week, and I'm glad you're here today. This is uh, Connection Weekend. We've been in a series called Don't Let Your Past Rob Your Future. I'll finish it, third part, next week. But since this is Connection Weekend, I wanted to address that subject and show you the, the reasoning for a small group and connecting with different people. Life goes better when you're connected. God, God didn't make anything that's created to be alone. Uh, everything created is to be connected. When something doesn't work, we usually say, oh, it's disconnected. So we want to connect. God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so God doesn't create things to be disconnected. The Bible talks about in the Psalms, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish even in old age. They shall flourish and be fruitful. That's not jive, that's truth. And so God gives you some incredible, you know, attending is not being planted. If you take something like a flower or a shrub and you pull it out of the ground, that's its connection, it'll die. If you take a fish out of water, that's its connection, it will die. And so God designed you to be planted. Uh, Attendees are not planted. Great churches can't be built by attendees. They're, they're people who are connected. Um, I remember going to see Tina Turner. I've been to a lot of concerts. And I, was, I bought a $200 ticket, and I watched a 67-year-old woman in white leather pants and six-inch heels <laughs> knock it out of the park. But I was just an attendee. An attendee means I can get up and leave if I don't like it and walked right out. But there were people who were running the technical side of her show, the lighting, the pyrotechnics, the musicians, the roadies. They were all connected, and they could not leave. They were connected. So there's a difference in being connected and just attending. God wants to connect people. He said He sets the solitary in families. So our emphasis is on being connected to small groups and the benefits of it. Recently I was reading about a series of instructional videos you can get on almost any subject in the world. It's called Lessons from the Master. And the idea is that you can get coaching from the world's leading authority on whatever it is you want to learn about or improve at. I was thinking about who would you go to to ask, who was history's leading expert on small groups or small community life? I think hands down the answer would be Jesus. I mean, who would you go to for coaching on how to create a life-changing, life-shaping, life-giving, life-forming small group or community? Hands down, it's Jesus. When Jesus was thinking about how to extend His movement and His dream beyond His physical life on earth, He did one thing. He didn't start a country. He didn't form an army. He didn't create a university or an institution or a corporation. He didn't endow a foundation. He started a small group, and it had a real small curriculum. In Mark chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Jesus went up to the hills and invited those He wanted with Him, and they came to Him. So he settled on 12. He designated them apostles, meaning sent out ones. And the plan was to be simple. It was the be with Jesus plan, and then he would send them out. Now, why did he do that? 
Well, he understood that's how lives are changed. That's where character gets shaped. So from the very beginning of the Jesus movement, it was a small group movement, and the main curriculum was the Be With plan, the Be With Jesus. They would learn together, study together, pray together, argue together, forgive together, and Jesus would be with them. When they tried to serve God, Jesus would be with them. When they failed, He would be with them. When they were sick, He would be with them. When they were discouraged, when they were confused, He would be with them to help. He would be with them to celebrate when they got something right, and He'd be with them to clean up the mess when they got things wrong. They would walk through life together, and the plan was, be with Jesus. Then He was teaching them how to be with each other. What happens in the book of Acts is that members of Jesus' original small group finally said, I think we see the point. It's first being with Jesus, doing life together with Him, and then being sent out and taking what Jesus taught us and sharing that with others. And under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then we're going to start new groups, and we'll have them do the Be With Jesus plan and the Be With Each Other plan, and we'll see how it works. So we're told in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship is a fabulous word that's been cheapened in our day, but it describes a real, authentic, small group of people with who you do life together. You laugh together. You cry together. You celebrate together. You share with them, serve them, give to them. You receive from them. They devoted themselves to that in the New Testament church. Verse 46 of Acts 2, every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts. Now that tells us something about the nature of the Be With plan as they played it out in the early church. If you go through Acts, you'll see that what is most often spoken of are little groups, little communities, clusters of believers who got together in homes. In Acts, it talks about the house of a man named Jason, the house of a man named Titus Justus, Philip's house, Lydia's house, the house of a Philippian jailer, the house of Mary, the mother of John. That's where people met. When the New Testament letter writers sent greetings to believers, if you read, they greeted believers at the house of Priscilla and Aquila, or believers at the house of Aristopolis, believers at the house of Narcissus. That's a group for recovering egomaniacs. <laughs> believers at the house of Nympha and Onesiphorus and Archippus. How about Anne and John and Pete and Bill? In the New Testament, the idea was not that you had home groups that were optional. Home groups were the church. That was it. They didn't have buildings of any kind for over 300 years. Sometimes in Jerusalem, they met in the temple courts. Other times, they didn't even have that. Their basic plan was the be with plan, and that plan hadn't changed. The Holy Spirit did not say sometime later in church history, okay, guys, now we're going to switch things and start another way of thinking about church. So that when you talk about church, all you think about is one big building you go to once a week, or for some of you, once a month, and everything else is optional. <laughs> Sorry for the cheap shot. All right. 
you know, maybe nobody will ever get to know you. Maybe nobody will ever get to know your heart. Maybe you'll never discover your spiritual gifts. Maybe you'll never get to serve and grow together with other people. There was never any shift like that ever in history. It was always from start to this day, the be with plan. Be with Jesus and then be with your small group. And so that's what we're going to do in this message is look at the Jesus plan, the be with plan, and take some thoughts from the master. Lesson number one from the master. In a great small group, people are devoted to each other, and they pay a significant price to do life together. It says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, they got that idea from Jesus. When the twelve were in that little group with Jesus, He never made them feel they were an obligation to Him or that He had to be there because it was expected. There is, in fact, no record of any other rabbi who recruited students. They always waited. It was considered beneath their dignity to recruit. And prospective rabbis would come to them and say, may I please be in your school? But not with Jesus. Jesus came along and changed the policy. He said, I want you. I want you. I want ugly you. I want broken you. I want nasty, not behaving nice you. I want you. No other rabbi did that in history. It was considered beneath their dignity. Jesus did it. And can you imagine what they must have felt to feel that somebody wants you? That's a powerful dynamic. Jesus said, I want you to be my friend. I want to do life together with you. Now, why did he choose these 12? <laughs> Was it because they were so smart or rich or resourceful or gifted or powerful or influential? Well, Peter was impulsive. Thomas was a doubter. Judas was greedy. James and John were ladder climbers, name droppers. There was a man named Simon who was a zealot. He hated tax collectors. And then Jesus chose a guy named Matthew who was a tax collector, which means he hated zealots who hated tax collectors. I'll guarantee one of their biggest questions, whether spoken or unspoken to Jesus, was, why on earth did you choose him or her? See, part of what was going on was Jesus was trying to teach him something. His little community is not a place where you get to be around people who are all beautiful and healthy and normal, whatever that is. It's where you learn from Jesus how to love people who are as junked up and sinful and messed up and struggling as you are, as I am. That's never going to change. That's just life. You know, here's the key. Experts in small group life say the number one killer of small groups is not a busy schedule. It's not doctrinal disagreement. It is primarily what is called extra grace required people. Somebody who talks too much. Somebody who doesn't get it. Somebody who isn't smooth. Somebody who belongs to the wrong political party. Someone who reminds you of a relative you don't want to be reminded of. Every group has one, an extra grace required person. And if you look around your group and you cannot identify that person, it's you. <laughs> so there's this little group with these EGRs in it, and Jesus believes in them. He prays for them. He serves them. He washes their feet. 
It was like he wanted to be with them, and he, he was glad when they got together. Nobody had ever loved them like that. That was not the culture of that day. And after three years of that, they were shaped by that love because love always shapes lives. The Bible says whether there be tongues or prophecies, they will fail. Love never fails. You know, some of you have tried criticism, judgmentalism. Why don't you try love? Everybody likes to be loved. Nobody hates a lover. And so they found out there was nothing better. Love God, love other people. But in that little group, they learned it wasn't political talk. It wasn't just nice talk. It was really true. After his death for their forgiveness and after his resurrection from the dead and after the Holy Spirit came, they said, if his spirit is helping us now, what would happen if we gave that same kind of love, that same kind of devotion to other people outside of our group? What if we created a lot of little groups that formed together in homes? You know, we never did that before Jesus. We never got together rich and poor, slave and free male and female, Jew and Gentile, Republican and Democrat. We never did that till Jesus showed up. So they decided to devote themselves to that plan, the be with plan. And when you devote yourself to a small group, if you haven't yet, I hope you'll take that step today. When you meet with them, share with them, pray with them, believe in them, grow with them, glad to see them, walk with them, celebrate with them. When you do life together, then you're doing the Jesus be with plan, and anybody can do the be with plan. Lesson number two from the master, a great group is a safe place to get real with people. Acts 2 says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The word sincere is made up of two Latin words, sin, S-I-N, seer, C-E-R-E. The word sin of sincere means without. And the word seer means wax. Sincere means without wax, no makeup, no fake, totally transparent. The Romans prized Greek statues. Oftentimes when they were sold, some of them had been cracked, and the sellers would pour wax into the cracked areas to cover the flaw and make the statue look better than it was so they could sell it at a higher price. If you found you had bought one of the covered-up statues, you'd be greatly disappointed. But if the statue were authentic, and if there were no attempts to hide any flaws and there was no wax, they would label that sincere, meaning without wax. What you see is what you get. So here's where people got together in a small community, and they ate with sincere hearts. I don't get many compliments, but something once in a while I do. And I really appreciate it if it's sincere. And somebody outside of our church was saying, you know, you are outside just like you are inside. In other words, what I say and do here isn't any different than what I say or do outside. It's without wax. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes my wife doesn't think that's real good. But it is what you get. I personally love people like that. Uh, they're without guile, like Nathaniel. Jesus said, well, he might be wrong, but he's totally honest and open. He's, he's without guile. I can take care of him. I'll fix him later. But I love a guy who's not fake. Yeah. Yeah. 
Christianity is loaded with fakes, fake preachers, fake people, fake deacons, fake uh, authorities. It's just loaded with fake. The country, politics, celebrity, fake, 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 fake. Plastic, makeup, everything else. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get till wedding night. You don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's not in my notes. I just threw that in. See, that's just Rick. So here they are. And they're with Jesus, and they follow this incredible leader, and that's where they get the idea about being real, about being transparent. So, whatever was going on with Jesus, they found out about it. When he was sad, they saw him cry. When he was tired, they saw him leave the crowd and go sleep. When he was troubled, they heard him say, now my soul is troubled, my sorrow overwhelms me. They heard him say, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business, but I call you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. That's in John 15. See, Jesus was the most transparent human being they had ever been around. He talked a lot about how people, especially religious people, often try to look good on the outside, but their inner life is really different with a lot of hiding a lot of wax going on. He said, we're not going to do that. We're going to do the be with each other plan. We're going to be real. No posturing with us. They must have loved being part of a little community like that. There's this fascinating passage in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church where he gives them a picture from the Old Testament. Moses has been with God on Mount Sinai talking to him face to face. When Moses comes down from the mountain, it says his face glowed. Now, even in our day, when people are really excited, their faces kind of shine or, or beam. People always use one, I guess, adjective to describe a bride. They say, oh, she looks so radiant. They never say that about a groom. Nobody cares what the groom looks like. He's like a hood ornament on the car. Hey, you know, he's there for decoration. Nobody cares. But they always say that about a bride. And Moses' face was radiant. It impressed people. They said, wow, he's a really spiritual guy. He's been with God. And the word spread. Moses has got a shiny face. When they looked at him, everybody said, wow. And Moses kind of liked hearing, wow. Then one morning he wakes up, looks in the mirror, and notice my face ain't shining like it did before. It's starting to fade. And he knows if people start to see that, they're going to be less impressed with him, and he wouldn't be so special anymore, and they wouldn't say wow so much anymore. So the text says in 2 Corinthians 3.13, Moses put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. He wanted them to think he was more spiritually radiant than he really was. So he walked around with a veil makeup, wax. We don't know how long he wore it. We don't know when he finally decided to take the dumb thing off. My guess is probably when his wife said to him, Moses, will you take off that stupid veil? You're not fooling anybody. And personally, I'm glad your face doesn't glow anymore. I can't sleep at night. It's like going to bed with a flashlight. Take off the veil, Moses. And whatever prompted it, he finally did take it off. And it must have been a relief just to be plain old Moses. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, 
Since we have the promise of God's love and acceptance through what Jesus has done for us, not what you've done, but through what Jesus has done for us, we can live with an unveiled face. No hiding, no makeup, no wax. This is what I am with good and bad and fallen stuff, no veil. We're very bold. With unveiled faces, we reflect God's glory. And by the way, the only way you can reflect God's glory is with an unveiled face. A great group where it's safe to be the real you. I wonder, have we met the real you? Or who your mother wants you to be? Or who your daddy said you were? I wonder if we've met the real, non-waxed you. See, to get in a group like that, to help grow a group like that, that's a group where people honor confidentiality, where you can trust others with something that's a bit personal, where you know they won't be careless with that truth. And the people who lead these groups, instead of trying to be the guys or gals with all the answers, will simply be transparent when it's appropriate and share their own weakness and struggle with you. Who wants to hear a guy get up and said, I'm perfect, I do it all right, my marriage, my parenting, my life, my relationship with others, with God, my character, my lust, my flesh, <sighs> look at me and drool. It makes me sick. We're all fallen creatures and we want to see a few chips in everybody. Everybody's got a limp somewhere. I, you know, one of, the, one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience, kindness. Uh, mine lacks. I don't think mine got developed real good. It didn't get enough fertilizer. You put me on 281 at 5 o'clock and a dark, ugly, non-patient, certainly not kind part wants to emerge from me. And I just need you to know it. And my wife will put her hand over on my leg and, no, it's not erotic. She's saying, calm down. Calm down. Or don't say anything. Don't say anything. Any of you men get messages under the table or in a seat on your legs? Is it a woman thing? Yeah. That would have been nice when we are dating, but anyway, as no. Now it's like, don't say that. Don't do that. No, no. I get that all the time. I've, see, I'm just being honest, see? Some of you are already disappointed. Well, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. That's, that's, these are the people I love. With all their flaws, I, I know that. We have people in here that are not behaving. We have some people in here who live together. We have some people in here. I love them. I, I just think they're just incredibly wonderful people. They're not doing the right thing, but I love them. And I'm glad they're honest, and I want them to know, I know what you are, but I love you anyway. I know what you're doing is wrong, but I love you anyway. Come here, give me a hug. I love you. That's, that's what Jesus did. He was a friend of sinners. He didn't condone sin, but He says, hey, Get in this group. Hang out with me. Probably life's going to change. I'm going to do a wedding up in my office next week for somebody. They've been living together. I said, you know what? We just think it's way time for us to get married. And I said, you know what? I do too. So we'll just, we'll just do it before Saturday night up in the office. We'll, we'll do that. That's, I do it all the time. It's great. People hang around Jesus and hang around transparency long enough. God will transform you. Little by little. I can't do it being mean. I can't do it judging anybody. I can't do it. It, it, it occurs 
in groups together. When you get unconditional love, uh, it just never seems to fail, you know? So a great group, lesson number three, a great group is a place where people speak truth to one another in love. Here's Ephesians 4, verse 15. Paul says, speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into Him who is the head, who is Christ. And God says, one day you're going to look like that, and we're going to help each other get there by speaking truth to each other. Most of us would rather hear a lie than the truth. But reality is always our friend. We just avoid it like the plague. We run from it. Our capacity for self-deception is staggering. A small group of people who are friends can help you see the truth about yourself, sometimes even in small things. Um, my life has been shaped by a lot of different people. I've, my worldview over my 71 years has been shaped by my African-American friends. I love to know how they feel, how they perceive life. I love it when they take a, put a jab into their own culture, and I love when I can put a jab into my Caucasian culture, or, we'll, or the political one, or how we view life together, or my Hispanic friends. The, all those little getting together shape you with a bigger world view, uh, and it makes life bigger and better. And then I've been with people who were good in leadership and people who were good in marriage, and little by little, probably slower than most, I've been transformed and made a little better. Oh, I'm not finished, I know that, but I'm saying I've come a long way based on the people that, that, I'm, that I'm with, and I'm thinking, who are you with? You know, here's a fact. You can run faster alone, but you can run farther together. And I'm saying, get connected. I want to be in this race till I die. I, oh, I remember Rick. He used to—no, he used to nothing. He still is. He still is. I, I used to nothing. I'm going to finish strong, and I want you to finish strong. God wants us all to finish strong. It's a good thing. But you got to be around some smart people. Who's shaping you? If the people you're with and you got your little group, whether it's an official church group or it's your little hangout party group, if they're not where you want to go, then for crying out loud, how are you ever going to get there? How are you ever going to get there? I don't get it. If you got on an airplane and I said we're going to Atlanta, but you wanted to go to Dallas, wouldn't you want to get off the airplane? Well, thank you. That's why when you get on an airplane, they say, welcome aboard flight 1810 to, to Dallas. If that's not your final destination, get off the airplane. And you don't go by and kick the door of the pilot and cuss him as you leave. You're grateful. You want to you go to Atlanta. So if my friends aren't going where I want to go, I got to get new friends. Most of my bad, nasty, ugly self occurred when I hung out at 18 with the wrong people. The bar club, the drunk club, the drug club, everything was free love, free everything in the rock and roll business. And the stupidest choices I ever made came from the stupidest people. And did you know over half of them are dead now? Their lifestyle killed them. You can waste a lot of your life. You marry the wrong person. You can waste years of your life. Wrong connection. Disconnect from the wrong people as soon as possible. And God says in, in uh, Joel, I will restore the years the enemy has stolen from you. I think that's really cool. God can make that up. But get smart. 
and get with the right people who are where you want to go. If they're all they want to talk about is who's hot and who's bad and, oh, let's get wasted and let's get drunk or whatever, I'm thinking, I need some new friends. I, I want a big life, a great life, a good marriage. I want to be the end of this month, well, I don't know, 26. I better not forget that. That's my, that's my 41st anniversary. Still, still connected. Still connected. Going to finish that way. Not easy. Nothing's easy but quitting. That's why everybody does. So if you want something that lasts, stay connected. When God hooks up people, stay in that connection. Get in a group like that where people can shape you. The Bible says, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. You know why loners are dangerous? Because there's nothing there to correct them. Nothing. Hey, hey, Bill, you're getting off course here. Hey, Bill, watch that. It, they don't want that. That's why they shoot up high schools. That's why the Unabomber lived in a shack disconnected off a grid from electricity. Loners are not biblical and are dangerous. They seek their own desire. They rage against all wise judgment. Proverbs 19. That came from God, not an American to read it. God says, God doesn't want you isolated. He wants you connected, and it's for your good. And so you can become all that you want to be. So, in this kind of a community, people would say, where did we get this idea? Being truthful. They got it from Jesus. I love this. The disciples were walking somewhere along a road, and Jesus said to them, this is in Mark 9, verse 33, uh, what do you boys are arguing about when we were walking on the road? They kept quiet because they argued about who was the greatest. Wouldn't you love to have heard that argument on who's the greatest? But Jesus, who knows what's going on, asked, hey guys, what were you talking about? They're all looking down at the ground saying, ah, oh, you know, the cowboys, nothing much. I mean, who wants to tell Jesus? We're arguing about which of us follows you the best, about which one of us has the most ad advanced maturity at picking up our cross and denying ourselves. Which one of us is the most spiritual? Which one of us is A-level, your little favorite? And that's kind of the way our life fallen works, isn't it? Jesus got an amazing response. He doesn't say, well, you guys are all fired. He doesn't take the Donald Trump approach to discipleship. But he doesn't ignore it either. He doesn't just say to himself, gee, I'm afraid if I raise this issue with the boys, they're not going to like me. So in the name of love, I'll just pretend I didn't hear anything. And he didn't say, hey, we're just going to do happy talk, just talk about light things. He doesn't do that either. He exercises great skill. And in this instance, he just does it by asking a question. What are you guys talking about? Boy, I can imagine inside they went, oh, God. Oh, 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 no, did he hear us? They're learning this from the master. One time Peter gets off course and he starts to get legalistic. He's with one group of people who are Jewish. He behaves one way. Then he's with another group of people, Gentiles. He behaves another way. And then when another group shows up and he's with the other group, then he gets up embarrassed and tries to act in a totally hypo hypocratic, uh, hypo hypocritical way. And Paul rebukes him to his face. He says, so I spoke to him face to face and rebuked him. Peter had to do, I mean, Paul had to rebuke Peter. I know some of you have him on your dash. Not good. Had to rebuke him three times. He never got it right. He was racist. He was bigoted. He was a slow learner. He was impulsive, but God loved him and over time changed him. 
That's what's really good. But he had to speak the truth and said, Peter, you're out of order. You cannot behave this way. You're creating confusion for everybody. So they devoted themselves to the truth and says, let's hold each other accountable so we can talk to each other about our character how we're handling our finances, our time, our sexuality, our spirituality in these little groups where we speak the truth in love. It's not judgmentalism, but it's just speaking the truth, and we're doing life together. That's the be with plan. Then lesson number four from the master. A great group is not a place where there's no conflict. It's a place where conflict, which is inevitable, leads to reconciliation and growth. It is impossible for two people not to have conflict. I've never been in a rock and roll band that didn't have dispute. I've never been on a board that didn't have dispute. I don't think you can, have dis- you can be married and have no dispute. Well, my wife and I have never had an argument. That's because you laid down like a throw rug and she just did this. It isn't possible, right? So if you're looking for a church where there's no conflict or where you'll never be offended, you'll have to wait for heaven. Because this does not exist. Just doesn't exist. Great peace are they who love my law, and nothing shall offend them. Why are you so easily offended? Huh? Why would you leave a group of people over a little issue? Something, well, I don't believe that. I'm just going to leave. Well, go ahead. You're setting sail. You're going to rob your own future. That's it. Go ahead. You can do it. It's not about going to heaven. It's about fulfilling your purpose and destiny and being fruitful on this earth. What a shame that you're such an idiot to do such a thing. I mean, I think it's just idiot. Well, it, they moved the communion table from the front. I'm leaving the church. They didn't wear robes in the choir. I'm leaving the church. The pastor didn't speak to me. Thousands of people, and I didn't speak to you. Wow. Great. Leave the church. Leave earth, would you please? It's not possible. (laughs) Not possible. Didn't even see you or hear you. But these are just little things that go on all that. Well, they're going to have trick treats, no tricks. So the I just believe it's a satanic blah, 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 blah. Well, we're going to make it non-satanic. We're just going to help the community. They're going to have it anyway. Let's have it safe. Bring the community into the church and bless the people wise or stupid, you know, or you have a Christmas tree or whatever out there. I mean, people just, it's amazing how they let their whole lives just go to nothing over silly, non-essential issues. The disciples learned about conflict and resolution from their master in this small group. They disappoint Jesus bitterly at the crisis of his life, at the moment of his greatest pain when he's going to the cross. That small group that's been with him for three years, he's poured his life into them. They all run away. They move their membership. They're going to leave church. And Peter, his good friend, denies him three times and cusses. And Peter's walked with the Son of God on earth for three years. That means there's room for you to screw up a little bit, okay? Okay. You know the story. After the resurrection, the disciples are out fishing. Jesus comes to the shore. He's standing at the shore in front of a fire of burning coals with fish and bread. New Testament scholars say the reason Jesus did that was to confront Peter because Peter denied Jesus three times in front of a charcoal fire, and he wanted to recreate the scene. Now, my wife and some other women say the reason the text mentions a fire is to tell us that a man was cooking, and what a good thing that was for a man to cook 
And the reason so many women follow Jesus is that women love a man who can cook. <laughs> that is not what the New Testament scholars say. They say Jesus is recreating that scene where Peter denied him three times. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he forces Peter to say three times, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Peter knows he's been reconciled. He knows it. But the conflict wasn't brushed under the rug. It wasn't like, let's never talk about it again. It was reconciled in this small group, this new kind of a community. There's a legend, can't prove it's true, that in subsequent years, if somebody wanted to taunt Peter, they would do it by crowing like a rooster, a rooster just to remind him of what he had done. So it says in Luke 22, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But good old Peter knows he's been reconciled. He's been forgiven. He's accepted. He remembered that. And he carries that with him the rest of his life. When he's writing to another small group many years later, here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but blessing. And then Peter says, I know. I've been there, done that, and got a t-shirt. I learned from the master. Last lesson and we're through. Great groups always have a mission beyond themselves. The plan was be with Jesus and then be with each other, and then Jesus would send them out. So the 12 had said, I mean, I'm kind of imagining, what if the 12 had said, you know, we like being together so much, we don't want to go out. We just want to keep all this to us, us four and no more. Well, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. Jesus' plan has always been for Him to be present with His followers and to spread His presence and joy and love through the whole world. And that's why we have so many little groups around Summit who serve. That's the Be With plan. Now, I'm going to send you out. And He does that with the first group. So I've often thought, reminiscing in my mind, what it must have been like when that first group got reunited in heaven, because that really does happen. You will be reunited. And one by one, as they went to heaven, John is the last one. He's an old, old man living in exile on the island of Patmos. And now they're all finally together before Jesus in heaven, and they remember when they were young men. And Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. Well, they gave Him their lives, good and bad. And then one day, now they're with Him, and they want to know, did we do well? And Jesus said, I told you, no one who gives up anything to follow Me, father, mother, brother, sister, houses, land, will receive a hundredfold in this life and in the one to come. And they think to themselves, wouldn't you? What if I had said no? What if when that young carpenter turned rabbi came to me and said, I want you? What if I'd have said no? What made Jesus' small group the greatest small group in history was the leader, Jesus. And here's what's amazing. In Matthew 18, Jesus said, where two or three of you go together in my name, there I am. I'll be with you when you're together. That's the be with plan. You come together in my name, devote yourself to each other. I promise I'll be right there with you. Some of you are not in a little group like that. And I need to tell you, you need to get in one. And right after this service, at both of our exits in our lobbies, there's a table with people that have all the different small groups, what they do, the zip code where they're located, so you could pick one. 
you not only got the tables to talk to real people, but you got a, a bulletin insert that shows you all the different groups around Summit. Some of you have been with Jesus a long time, and you could lead a small group like that. I said it before last night. It seemed to go well. I said, there's a bunch of you that are not in a small group, but you're a bunch of people who are together. You eat together. You kind of fellowship together. Start one with your group. Pull, pull it together, and then allow others to come inside. Don't make it exclusive. Make it inclusive. You want, and be open to transparency, because somebody may not talk quite like you do, and they weren't raised in church, and their vocabulary might be a little bit different or provocative or too blunt for you. Chill. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. Do you think everybody's talked nice when Jesus was a friend of tax collectors, extortioners, prostitutes, and sinners? Do you think they said, well, yea, yea, I would say unto thee, O Master, gag me. They did not talk like that. And so he, he, he took them on rough and ready. And I say again, be open to that. Everybody's not going to be like you. That's why God wants you to have a group or start a group. And sometimes you can be leading one and you can feel inadequate and not sure. Let me just say, you're not crazy to do what you do, to sacrifice, to make the effort. You are not crazy. This is Jesus' plan to change the world through small groups, which ordinary fallen human beings can get into and be transformed into His character and loved into His community and finally called to serve in some capacity in His work. We call it TLC, Transformation, Love, and Calling. That's His plan. That's the Be With plan, and that's the lesson from the Master. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media.